0: This week, terrifying technology, trombone-inspired friendships. Does humanity deserve to live in space? We asked the tough ones up in this, John, I tell you what. I've got Dan and Eric, two of the three Amity bros behind Marsfall, on the show today to talk about inspiration, craft, performance, and space. All of that is coming up right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. Last week, we brought you the prelude and first chapter of Marsfall, a show about the triumph of human and artificially intelligent ingenuity. And this week, we'll be talking to two of the guys that make the show, Eric Saris, the lead writer and director, and Dan Lovely, a writer and the voice of Andy. Sam Bose-Miller, who composes the score and plays Chip Heddleston, couldn't make it, but for a cool reason, as you'll shortly hear. I sat the boys down a couple of weeks ago and talked with them about the show. Now, Okay, friend of the show and friend of the me, Will Williams, made this goof some time ago where she intimated that I have this thing where I ask people questions like, Do you believe in souls? Which, um, okay, fair. So I guess my challenge to you, the listener, is to find the do you believe in souls question in this interview. I think there are probably a couple. You can let us know on that interweb by tweeting at us. We are at Radiodrama. Or you can join us on our patron discord by giving us a buck a month at patreon.com slash Revival. Okay, enough plugs. To the interview! Eric Saris, Dan Lovely, welcome to Radio Drama Revival.
1: Thanks so much for having
0: us. Thank
2: you very much. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's a pleasure. I'm sorry. I'm
0: sorry Sam couldn't make it, but I hear he had a sweet cello gig.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He's actually... Uh, going to play for some wonderful people he used to work for a few years ago doing summer landscaping and they found out he was a cellist so uh they just invited him randomly to come play for them at like their dinner tonight because it's you know one of the top elite you know people (laughs) in the michigan lakes area
0: (laughs) yeah so cool yeah um i want i want to get into this by asking first how you all met but 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 something came up today that I feel like we should address first, which is the liquid water discovered on Mars. Um, Yes. Wondering if you
1: had thoughts about that discovery from today, what your reactions were. You know, I've been obviously researching a lot about Mars when we planned this show, and we've definitely thought about a lot of the water that we've kind of known has been on Mars that's in this like trapped bet- between, like, an underlayer of regolith or the, the soil, um, like in an almost permafrost kind of state. But right. to actually find this lake, which I believe they said I think is, you know, several kilometers wide and even a meter deep, even though it's frozen, I mean, it's just really incredible to have this actual surface water left over. Because the Martian atmosphere is so thin, it's really hard for, you know, liquid water or even water in a frozen state that's not you know compounded by frozen co2 to just exist as uh, h2o and so um it's at the south pole so not really any anywhere near where our colony is landed in our fictional show but you know in in real life that's fantastic news to know that it's there do you think there's little like martian tardigrades flooping around in there eric I mean, if there is going to be anything it would definitely be the little water bears for sure. <laughs> uh and i they did find organic um you know compounds not st- actual life recently but the the molecules that you would need to build life uh they've just recently discovered i think a few months ago um you know the end of our spring of this you know 2018 so yeah it, it, i just hope the ball keeps rolling and you know if there's water if there's organic molecules i mean I've got a really good feeling that something was there and uh, for the record, we totally called it in our first season. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to know what's the what's the origin story of Amity
0: Brothers? How did the how did the three friends at the center of this production company meet?
2: Eric and I have been friends since we were uh, in junior high. We always loved collaborating and doing projects, video projects and things for English class stuff like that. Uh, I went to undergrad in Boston while Eric went to Chicago, but we uh, both years later met up in New York where we lived and we met Sam there and we had kind of been tossing around a number of ideas, a number of projects and things. And over the course of hanging out with Sam and uh, just becoming friends with him, we discovered we had a lot in common that we had, um, we actually took a writing class together. And I feel like that kind of solidified our desire to to work together and to, to create projects together.
1: When I moved to New York at the same time as Dan, I was playing music in the city and Sam and I happened to be in the same orchestra that went on a tour to China. And so he and I bonded a lot during that tour. And um, actually the very night we got back from China, uh, he came over to hang out in my apartment and I invited Dan over that night because we wanted to hang right away. You know, we got to meet each other all that night and then over the next couple of years we were hanging out together in New York and I think by founding like laying down a good foundation for our friendship that was, you know, led naturally into making this production company and, and it's pretty much the only reason I think that we're able to sustain it now that we live, you know, in three different areas around the country.
0: So for context, Eric, you're a trombonist and Sam is a cellist.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So uh, technically, I'm a bass trombonist. So I get to, you know, play all the low, loud notes. And um, that was actually how Sam said he knew... That I was a good person because we were opening a concert with Fam of the Opera and I laid into the opening note like super loud and edgy and I remember seeing Sam sitting principal cello, turning around <laughs> on the stage and looking at me and smiling with a nod in the middle of that performance and I was like, all right, yeah, this is good people. We're gonna we're gonna hang out a lot.
0: <laughs> What's the first? Would that just be
1: like right? Yeah, yeah. It's so like, everyone's okay. doing you know the da 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 da, but you know my part is just <laughs> whoa, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I told you we had to set those mic you know things in advance
0: (laughs) oh you were right you were right yeah (laughs) what's what's the origin of marsfall how did you decide that this was going to be
1: the project that you wanted to do and why did you decide to do it as audio fiction yeah so marsfall came about as kind of the first step into this larger multimedia multiverse that we have been creating for a long time so when amni started out the three of us we were talking about this idea i had for an opera that quickly became a tv series and um it's something that we still want to do but it was just it's going to require so many resources and uh is (laughs) frankly like too advanced for us to dive right in feet first i know dan said like we did some film projects in high school but we've never you know made an actual independent film and um All of us have a little bit of a camera experience, but none of us, I'd say, would be cameramen per se. So to build out like a bigger team would require getting more resources, which we just didn't have resources to get those. So we I had this other idea about doing a show on Mars. And at the time, Sam and I were working at the same company and uh, it was not the most stimulating office job so we spent our lunch breaks brainstorming all the time, and we kind of came up with this idea for, oh, what if we follow some of the first colonists to Mars? Because we we're reading a lot about Elon Musk with SpaceX, and also about artificial intelligence revolutions, um, and got really into reading Kurtz, uh, Kurtzweil's stuff about the singularity. So we wanted to bring about a show that was close enough to today's age that would address these issues that we feel are very important and will impact the human race probably sooner than most people expect. And we wanted to do something that was definitely a high-stakes drama. I mean, we love shows like Game of Thrones and The Expanse and Lost. I mean, those are, you know, some of our go-tos but we also know that um you can you can do a lot with comedy and so we thought like what if lost meets the office but we set it on mars and that was kind of our one sense pitch to come up with the idea for Marsfall and uh you know I think Dan and I have been listening to podcasts for a few years we've gotten really into Welcome to Nightvale and it branched out to a few things like Tannis um, and the Black Tapes so uh, when we were getting Sam into that, he was like, oh, instead of making this TV series, why don't we do an audio drama? We we can raise money to hire uh, great, you know, microphone equipment and get, you know, a good recording engineer in there and be a lot cheaper to produce than uh, an actual like web series or television series. So that's kind of how we came to this. And about a year, year and a half of pre-production led to us recording season one.
0: I remember... When I first encountered all of you at PodCon in 2017, before I'd ever heard the show, I heard you talking about all the research that went into Marsfall, the stasis, the neural lace, the terraforming. Mm. Do either of you remember, for you, what originally sparked your love of science fiction?
1: Ooh, yeah. Um, Well, for me, definitely, it was seeing Star Wars as a kid, specifically once I got to The Empire Strikes Back I was just like so into outer space from that moment forward and I wanted to learn everything about it. Uh, You know, I know I mentioned that I studied trombone for my undergrad degree, but up until junior year of high school, I was still really deciding if I wanted to go study cosmology, which is, you know, studying the cosmos and the universe um, from a theoretical angle. But I was always terrible at math and I was just good at the trombone. So, you know, I went the way I went and I have no regrets because it's, you know, all my passions have led me to here. But I would say definitely Star Wars was the big influence right out of the gate. And then from there, uh, like a humorous approach that I really enjoyed was reading The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Complete series. Because um, that just I feel like opened the Doors to so much amazing Fantasy that you could inject into sci-fi, uh, you know, while you're mixing hard science research alongside kind of just ridiculous concepts and pulling it off.
2: Uh, I, I'd have to say it's I. May, I suppose it is maybe the cliche answer, but certainly Star Wars um, from a very young age. But um, when my teachers in elementary school started asking me, like, "Oh, what do you want to? Do? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do?" Always my answer was, "I want to be an astronaut. I want to be the first man on Mars." I want to go into space. I want to go to the moon. I guess in a way, I've I've been to Mars. Um, maybe not the first <laughs> podcast to,
0: <laughs> perhaps
2: not the first podcast to to land on Mars, but um, it's definitely a, a kind of a gratifying experience that I feel like seven year old Dan would be proud of me.
0: of Of the future tech that is in Marsfall, which do you most wish was real right now?
1: I think I. <sighs> It's funny cuz like we know like the long-term arcs of a lot of our technology and right. it doesn't always going to end well. So like you know things that might seem exciting now uh can also be really scary. <laughs> but for me I think the you know the most interesting technology uh that's also terrifying is just this whole concept of an artificial intelligence new species consciousness that's going to exist with us and uh yeah, you know, that's something that we really, really wanted to explore with all of our shows, and uh, obviously Andy is a huge part of Marsfall. And I think most of our fans would agree that if there was one thing in Marsfall that we that's technology based that we wish was real,
2: it's Andy.
0: Yeah, he's
1: like our special
0: robot son.
2: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say uh, I, I, you know, my first instinct would be to say artificial intelligence. It really does scare me, frankly, um, and. Uh, it's kind of a thrilling experience to portray an artificial intelligence. Um, but I would say outside of that, I I would really love the uh, concept of 3d printing food. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, just because not nothing against cooking. I just think it would be a really fascinating way to, um, you know, to make food and potentially help a lot of people around the world. Um, but, uh, I think more specifically with AI though, um, what I really would like to see is uh, kind of like the fractal AI that we have. So whereas Andy is um, kind of based on the concept of a hologram where he's uh, whole, re- regardless if you split him into one piece or, or 20, you know, it's still the same. You have the entire consciousness in any of those pieces. That's something that I think is a really interesting concept. It's kind of fascinating. Versus, you know, do you have like HAL 9000 where, you know, you go and you uh, you switch off the circuit breakers and he sings Daisy and he powers down. With Andy, you know, you wouldn't necessarily be able to, to do that as easily. It's not such a, a simple matter as, you know, just flipping a switch per se. Um, so I think the fractal technology is pretty interesting as well.
1: And this is like a real technology that I uh, believe, you know, some creators of AI in the real world are, are looking into where you no longer just have a central point And that's something we definitely are going to explore more in the second season, how Andy comes in that kind of holograph form where we have our new AI that we introduced at the very end of the first season. Uh, She is the form of a solid state AI. So she just has one central point where all of her data is stored. And um, that is a lot more like the HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey.
0: For me, I can imagine like the neural lace really excited me. I can mm-hmm. think of all, like, the the bad stuff. Like, I'm already too addicted to my phone, and I'm already – that's already so much a part <laughs> of me. But, like, all the incredible benefits of, like, a computer brain interface for someone who is paralyzed or blind. Mm. Like, any prosthesis that could communicate directly with your mind, I think that's astounding.
1: Yeah. And if anyone out there, like, wants a fun read on the Neural lace, uh that's, you know – a little technical but definitely speaks a lot in layman terms and it's just written by a great author. If you haven't heard of the website waitbutwhy.com, uh they mm. the writer for there does a lot of kind of high concept stuff but does it in fun stick figure blogging form. And uh his article on the neural lace, his article on the singularity and his interview with Elon Musk, um all of those I think are from two or three years ago because they were really inspirational for us making Marsfall. I think part of what I
0: love about Marsfall is that it doesn't shy away from like the nasty nitty gritty of running a colony, you know, the inevitability of mutinies to the need for soldiers and chaplains to the grim fact that the people aboard ship probably won't be coming back to Earth. Mm -hmm. I guess my question is what inspired that and a follow-up question, do you think you could do it yourself? Could you go to Mars? Oof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you've spent all this time thinking about like how miserable it would be. Could you do it? <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I'm not sure if you remember a couple of years ago, and I think it still makes the news occasionally, the, um, the Mars One uh, program where, you know, people had sent in applications to be the first, I think it was like the first hundred people to go to Mars without the intent of coming back. Yeah, I forgot I completely.
0: Forgot about that. Actually, yep. the
2: Boston Globe just did a piece about people who have sent in those applications and how it's affected their families, and you know how it's affected the people that you know that they are planning on leaving forever. Um, it's a really difficult concept to wrap your mind around. It's not like going to the moon, where you could certainly die, but there's kind right. of at this point somewhat of a guarantee that you're going to come back if you, if you, if you do that or to the international space station, since we haven't been to the moon quite a bit. But um, I think personally, I, I like it here on earth. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I would want to, uh, and, and now seven-year-old Dan is kicking me, but uh, I think I'd be, I'd be happy with the moon, but I don't think I would want to, to go to Mars, not to live. Um, I've read too much Ray Bradbury um, and uh, just, you know, uh, too many things like that, that I just feel like there's something about this planet that I I, I don't I wouldn't want to necessarily leave, even though that eventually may be our future.
1: Yeah, I I think I'd love to go to Mars if I could, like, retire there. Um, because I, I do think it'd be something that, one, it, right now it's so expensive. And the technology, even if it did happen as soon as we're saying, like, in the year 2047, I mean, by then I'm going to be, you know, much closer to being an old man and, you know, who knows what is going to happen to my body in space. But, you know, if I could retire there with my wife, if she would be willing to go, I think, um, you know, we would, we would take the ticket, especially if like the political climate is still similar today. I think we would definitely take that ticket. Uh, So that's definitely something that um, I kind of joke about, but I think there's always a part of me that want would want to go there if it if it would work out because I actually almost did apply for that Mars One uh, program when it first was like announced like four or five years ago whenever that was Um, because at that time uh, I was just much more I don't know gung-ho about like, I don't really have many attachments here. I mean, I didn't have Marsfall. I hadn't met my wife yet. So now that I have both I was going to ask. I was going to yeah. ask when you met Rika. <laughs> no, I hadn't met Rika yet. And that, it's, I mean, seriously, that is like a, a big decider. And, um, you know, I wouldn't want to go anywhere without her. Uh, not to get all mushy. But <laughs> um, I think there's a part of me that always is going to say yes to going to Mars if enough other things line up and someone's going to pay my way there.
0: I mean I hope you're mushy. You've been married all of what, 10 days? I know,
1: right? It's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> have
0: but have you talked about this with your partners? Have you talked about like like what does what does Rika say? What does Shannon say about the idea of of going to space?
1: Uh well, I can say Rika's not I don't think she's too wild about it. We've talked about it like once or twice. Um not seriously, but I think for her, she doesn't really like small spaces and she just doesn't really have any desire to go into space. I mean, I would still go up and like do an an Earth orbit, if nothing else. And I'm sure she'd be happy staying on the ground for that.
2: I think Shannon is somewhat similar. Um, She refused to watch the film Gravity (laughs) with me, Um, which, you know, to a certain extent, I don't really blame her. Uh, I think the concept of just kind of floating away into nothingness forever is pretty terrifying. I think honestly what it comes down to is I, I don't think we would want to leave our families and I don't think we would want to go somewhere where it would be untenable to have a family. It's definitely a really cool concept though. I mean, I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to float in outer space. I've always wanted to, you know, kind of be weightless and, and see something, see the earth from a, uh, not from the earth, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it would be, it would have to be a case where I would be able to come back where we could come back.
1: And I love I love this like age of space exploration that we're in right now. It's um, you know, there's a reason we had Jackie say this in the second episode. It really is like the time when the people were building the very first boats to go on the ocean. Uh, You know, it's not a common thing. It's not a guaranteed thing. I mean, we're like those very first, you know, early 30,000, 40,000 years ago, Polynesian Islanders that are uh, using wayfinding to navigate the Pacific. I mean, we're, you know. We have astronauts that are literally using the stars uh, with complex calculations. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tradition that's been going on for thousands of years on Earth, and now we're just taking it to the next great ocean. And uh, I don't know if I lived, you know, 30,000 years ago, if I'd be the person that's like, yeah, I'll get on the fifth boat that's ever existed. <laughs>
0: you know, that's, I think, the way to think
1: about it today. Many of the
0: early episodes of Mars Fall end with a character recording a private audio log and then breaking down in tears. And to me, that feels like a really important writing decision. And Eric, I wanted to ask you what motivated that?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I said earlier, kind of like our our quick pitch is like, what if Lost meets The Office? And, uh, you know, both of those shows have very well-developed characters. And I love the concept of The Office has with these interviews where you get this kind of private side of the characters. I mean, most of the time it's like a quick one-off, maybe even like a single, you know, comment that's like a funny quip. But you you get this like real personal connection building up with them. And the way that Lost would always do episodes that were centered on one character, like you were going through that character's flashbacks. Those two methods combined where we have this POV with every episode that it changes from character to character... But there's always this framing device of it being like a character is, is sending a message, is making a log. I know the, you know, the ones you're referring to uh, are done by Sam, um, again, who fortunately can't be here. But boy, does he really bring, I feel like, this level of pain and angst to a character that I think you see a lot of um, sci-fi, whether it's in movies or you're reading books. A lot of the characters are just kind of stoic. Um, you know, they're or they're like cocky and gung-ho. It's rare that you find people with I don't want to say humanity, because those are definitely human traits, but someone that's like really opening up. And I think to a certain extent, a movie and book that did that recently was Andy Weir's The Martian. And that was also a big influencer on designing Marsfall. And to, you know, read the book and also to see Matt Damon bring a lot of realism to just like this is someone who is just like on the new frontier and they're a person uh, was just really powerful to watch done well and we just want to remind everybody that like yes this is like an exciting sci-fi you know high concept adventure but in the heart of it it's about real people that are just trying to live one soul at a time
0: it is it is interesting to see to hear chip cry because you're right. Like it's, it's pretty rare in hard science fiction to see a man weep. Um, and so I think that makes it especially affecting because Chip's character is kind of cocky and arrogant and to see him, you know, in addressing his brother, just sort of let all those, those defensive walls come down is really, is really compelling, but also to see the other characters, uh, in, in, in command, that also just let down their walls and become extremely vulnerable in moments of privacy, really drives home just how awful it is.
1: Well, I think I think we all we all do that, right? I mean, right? We we don't live, you know, such. hope none of us or people listening to this don't live such stressful or awful lives as, you know, our our characters that are trying to colonize Mars. But I think every day you know, there are different struggles that we overcome. And, you know, we have good days and we have bad days. And I think especially in um, Western and United States of American culture, there is a lot of this kind of, you know, we're gonna be perfectly pleasant in public. We're gonna put up these um, walls around our emotions. And I think that leads to a lot of private introspection that, you know, can come Mm -hmm. out in anger, it can come out in sadness. Um, but that always, you know, connects to like the real essence of you. And I, I think that's definitely something we wanted to comment on is that as we move further and further into a more technological future, I think that, you know, the next generation is going to need more things to remind them of that emotional connection to what it means to be a human.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because Marsfall can vacillate between these these moments of like deep despair and these moments of like the triumph of the human spirit, Mm. you know, especially Jackie's line that's on the shirts, right, (laughs) Yeah, like I'm alive and I'm on Mars, fuck you outer space, right? Yeah. Um, Or what is it, in episode, I think it's episode seven, right, where Jackie is badly injured and then she just through sheer force of will clambers up this like
1: impassable terrain yep yeah she, she really is yeah she kicks her way up like a shaft inside those caves in our finale it's that was something really wild and and shannon really did it in the studio too i mean that's why it sounds so good we you know she used a scarf and tied that sling with her teeth you know in front of the microphone oh and she was <laughs> standing there you know miming the kicking and the grunt in the grunting and pushing her hands against the wall behind her in the booth and uh I think that's why you know you really hear that struggle because that's that's a human struggle right there. Dan, have you acted against your wife before?
2: Um, you know, it's funny, not not really. And we uh, we actually met um, in acting school uh, in Boston um, at Boston University. I was a year ahead of her, um, but we had never actually been cast anything together. Um, you know, we we've done our own separate projects, but we hadn't actually ever. Uh, uh, done a project together and it has been really wonderful honestly a lot of times i've heard people say like oh don't act with you know people that you're in love with don't act with you know or you know like don't work with someone that you're married to or whatever but honestly it it was just um a really great experience that's wonderful something that i found uh it was very natural um you know it, I, she's so good I, I you know when she's when we're recording in the booth, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Shannon that I was standing next to. It was Jackie. Um, so it really wasn't difficult for me to, you know, I, I didn't have to wrap my head around, okay, it's not my wife. It's, you know, this character on Mars, it's, you know, it's, she, she does such a good job of embodying a character that it was really, really easy. And uh, I think really effective to be able to play again uh, not against, but play off of her, um, to be able to react to what she was doing. Um, it was. I feel really, really lucky, to be honest.
0: That's really cool.
1: And it was really wonderful to to work with them, too, like from a director's standpoint. Uh, that, you know, I mean, all of our actors are wonderful, but like Dan and Shannon, you know, with all the training that they have and everything that you've done individually, just were the consummate professionals standing next to each other in those sessions. And not to say that you two aren't affectionate to each other when there's downtime, but... <laughs> You know, when when the mics were on, when the red light was on, like you said, Jackie was in that character. You were in Andy's character and you'd never know the two of you um, knew each other outside of, you know, these characters. So uh, I think it's just like was really, really cool to, I don't know, be there for the first time. You guys were doing a huge thing together. Yeah,
2: it was a it was a pretty great experience. And um, I mean, I, f- I feel like we were also very lucky to be able to have. uh someone who knew both of us directing us. Um, so that way you were able to, you know, if you, if you needed us to be slightly different or, or um, maybe hit a line in a different way, uh, the way in which you were able to direct us was really effective, uh, I would say.
0: So to take us back to the text of the show itself, I think there can be a temptation in science fiction to act as though all the social ills of the past, that is to say the present day, have been dealt with. But in <laughs> Marsfall, the character of Jeff Thomason, in my mind, sticks out as this obnoxious, patriarchal holdout. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about the creation of that character?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Um, well, Dan, do you want, you want to talk about James first? Since yeah, you him? <laughs> so
2: we knew that there was going to be someone who was going to be yeah a bit of uh, as you say, a holdover from from uh, patriarchal times of I guess the present now, um, unfortunately. but um, we wanted to have someone who was charming, even though you kind of hated him. Um, and as we were designing this character, I, I knew pretty much right away um, who I wanted to cast uh, and it's um, James Foey, who uh, is an actor in New York. Um, he he currently works on um, the off Broadway show Puffs, and he's he's done a lot of voiceover work and um, audiobook recording. And he, uh, I, I actually went to school with him um, in Boston as well. And he has such a phenomenal talent and such a great voice for what we want we wanted him to do that it was a natural um, natural decision to want to cast him. I think with the character of Jeff, we wanted someone that you know. It, is necessary. Um, You know, unfortunately there would be someone who would have to set up an infrastructure on Mars. Um, You know, we're not getting there and holding hands and having a tea party. There is a lot of nitty gritty (laughs) setting up that, that does require financial planning and, um, you know, economic insight. And not that anyone who is a a part of those uh, um, professions is, is, necessarily a bad person at all, but, we we knew that someone who was going to be designing these kinds of plans um like a, the concept of a hyperloop on mars would have to be really shrewd um because they'd have to be competing with you know countless other people from other companies um and other countries as well so they would have to have a, a certain toughness a certain shrewd certain shrewdness to them where you know they wouldn't really be uh they wouldn't really stand for anything less than progress um at any at any cost so while he is a bit rough around the edges um we wanted to have someone that we could we could trust would play the character without making him just an inst- you know someone you instantly d- hate and you you know that you just want to stop listening. We wanted to have someone where you want to hear what he has to say, because he might have something interesting to say. He also might have something slimy and disgusting to say too, unfortunately, but (laughs) um, it's that uh, the duality that, you know, you kind of need him, even though you hate him um, that we really wanted to look at.
1: Like Dan said, we needed someone to grind against Jackie and it just kind of fit that those two perspectives would be more intertwined to have this kind of, um, younger hotshot businessman who's you know the colonial governor essentially you know handling the finances on this colony.
0: It's interesting that the dichotomy is art versus capital.
1: Yeah, not not a uh, not a coincidence. Definitely not by mistake. That was yeah. by design.
0: <laughs> to that end, you know Jackie's mission is a corporate one. It's sponsored by Sequoia Industries, not a governmental or even a UN mission. Correct. Um, what, what are your thoughts about the present day plans to colonize Mars, your Blue Origin,
1: your SpaceX, your Mars One, which I had forgotten about? <laughs> I think, you know, for me personally, I think that's just much more practical than a government putting things together. I don't have any doubts at NASA. And I know that people that work there are, you know, incredibly intelligent and, you know, passionate about what they do, and, and they do want to get to Mars. But, you know, when our, our current Government systems, the the countries that have the abilities to finance, you know, massive space missions, also have a lot of other things they need to deal with on Earth, and there's also a lot of political posturing and red tape. That's not to say that doesn't happen with corporations, of course, um, but I think with what we've seen with Citizens United being passed in the United States um, only a few years back that corporations are becoming more powerful as, you know, similar to an individual entity or kind of gaining more abilities to supersede kind of general rules of a government. And we really already see it today with some of the biggest corporations out there that they um, do transcend nations that, you know, you can get Coca-Cola everywhere. I mean, it's, you know, it's an American product, but it's like Coca-Cola is, the entity itself. It's not U.S. Coca-Cola. And for me, I really think that uh, I don't know if they'll be the very first people there, but I think some of the most successful missions that we'll see in the decades to come to the moon, you know, to asteroids, to Mars and beyond are going to be private industry funded because, yeah, they can skirt regulations for better and for worse. But because of that, I think they're going to um, attract people that have really bright minds that want to see their stuff implemented before they've, you know, grinded themselves down over a couple of decades and then have to retire, which you might find with a government position just due to so many other uh, constraints imposed upon an entire nation. I had a version of this conversation. So I want to take us to kind of a heavy
0: place and then and then I'll bring us out. Um, I had a version of this conversation with Colin and Matthew who create the show Hostile Worlds. Um which is sort of an audio drama documentary about visiting the most inhospitable places in the galaxy or in the solar system. Um, In Marsfall, it seems explicit that Earth has failed and that space colonization is this last-ditch effort to save humankind. And I guess my question is, do we deserve a second shot? Like, what, if anything, would prevent us from making those same mistakes on Mars like what what in Mars fall even demonstrates that that a human colony would be successful for you know the same reasons
1: yeah uh well David I'm really really glad you asked that question and um I'm sorry I really can't elaborate too much because honestly we're going to answer that question throughout the series oh shit and I, I don't <laughs> okay wanna- cool yeah, I don't, I don't want to give anything really away, but that is, I think that's always been a driving question behind, uh, you know, the, the different projects that we've been working on for years, even before Marsfall, and why we have this kind of interconnected universe. I will say that the television show that we have been working on in more earnest recently is going to follow the events on Earth that take place during Marsfall, so that we will see the other half of what you know, has happened leading up to the launch and what happens after that. And, uh, yeah, I think between the two, we're really going to dig deep into that question of does humanity deserve a chance? Um, And I promise you, even though I'm dodging the question now that, you know, several years from now, when we wrap the series, that question (laughs) That question will be answered, but it will also open the door to thousands of more questions that we will be delighted to answer over the coming decades. I think
2: something that's important to to note though is, you know, whether or not humanity um, deserves uh the second chance or, or future chances on Mars, we're still gonna take those chances.
1: Yeah. And personally, like I believe as long as humanity is around, you know, in some form, that we deserve as many chances as we can get. Because um no matter what your belief or outlook I think on the world and the universe at large is you have to admit that it is at least for this time period that we've you know lived through and are in right now it's a very special thing to be a human to be one of at least the only conscious species that we can detect and understand and to me I personally think that you know makes us special that there is something special there and whether we make the most of this special opportunity you know that's that's you know for fate to decide and for time and history to tell. But uh, as long as there's humans around, I think there will always be a driving force of good within humanity that wants to make us the best species we can be for this universe. I would second that. Wonderful. <laughs> and then watch us all get nuked tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, well, I have run
0: out of questions. Do the two of you have any questions for me? Is there stuff you we didn't
1: cover that you'd like to talk about? Um, one thing I personally had to mention, because I know it's Sam isn't here, and I just wanted to say that uh, something that we've you know been studying a lot in audio drama is soundtracks and music. And there are definitely a lot of shows that use music, whether it's from a theme song or beyond, but... Um, you know, as a musician myself, Sam coming from a musical background, Dan also played music all up through high school and um, is still like our go to for a connoisseur of, you know, classic rock and other things like that. Uh, Music is super, super important to us. And I think there that it's an art form that, you know, is often downplayed or is often come to as an afterthought. And we see this a lot when budgeting films and tv series that there's like no budget for music like they're like oh well can you just score this soundtrack as like a favor and um for you know people listening out there that run their own shows that are thinking of starting a show definitely consider you know investing some time and energy maybe even money if that's not your talent in bringing music to it because um, when we were designing Mars Falls, Sam you know, pointed out, as I said earlier, like we're down a whole sense. We don't have the visual. And there's something powerful that music can help to add to that soundscape. And, um, you know, this isn't just about like building up Sam's work. It's just like, a you know, kind of a, a plea for, you know, appreciating music in general and how much. It does the-
0: so much work. It does so much heavy lifting in the show to set tone. Especially that, like, that saw-waved, that saw wave synth. Yeah. That, like, brah, that, like, brassy thing. Yeah. Like, I was immediately transported back to the point-and-click computer adventure games of my youth, like, <laughs> hearing that sound.
2: Transported back to Monkey Island.
0: Basically. <laughs> yeah. Not Monkey Island. It was, it felt more like The Dig. I was oh, trying right, yeah. to find a soundtrack that mm. used explicitly the same synthesizer as sam and i couldn't find it um so it's a, it's a shame because i was going to ask him like if he if he knew of anything that used that same instrumentation that's a well, digital f- instrumentation
1: funny enough um i think he's definitely influenced a lot by john carpenter's electronic music but uh the sounds that you're hearing in his soundtrack are i don't i don't know if it's a hundred percent but it's like a damn high 90 percent are original he uh mixes different synths together to generate sounds does a lot of different layers and he plays cello um which he also can run that through the synthesizer and also keep it acoustic he does snapping and clapping he even does some singing so all of that is getting thrown into the mix to create a unique you know soundtrack which is just another thing that blows my mind again that he does these like three to four day turnarounds on each episode it's bonkers it Tell really he does really a fabulous is. job Definitely, I will, and I'll, I'm sure he'll be glad to hear that.
0: I'm sorry, I got so excited, I stomped on the, the point that you were making. Go ahead, Eric. You were you were starting to say.
1: Oh no, just that you know. In I think in this age where you have um, ironically a lot of electronic music with with pop music, and um, there's nothing wrong with dance music. I think there's a beauty to its simplicity that it can um, you know put you in a trance, put you in a rhythm. Uh, obviously, EDM is a big influence on the stuff that Sam composes, but Well, as you just said, like, that power that it has to, you know, add to these soundscapes and harken back to your nostalgia, thinking of those video games. He also is writing in an almost pseudo Baroque musical style, which harkens back to kind of the early, earlier days of uh, Western classical music. So another kind of tap in there to our roots is studying the, the music in school. And Again, just, you know, when you're an artist, when you're creating a multimedia project, definitely give sound its due and, you know, and beyond the sound of like getting a good mic to make sure you're recording your actors at the best possible level Mm. and using, you know, as much variety of sound effects that you can afford or implement, you know, keep in mind how much music can bring a power to a story, especially when there's no visual element. Well. Gentlemen,
0: thank you so much for coming on Radio Drama Revival. This was an absolute delight.
1: Thank
2: you so yeah. much. It was definitely a pleasure talking with you.
1: Yeah, seriously, David, it was really, really great. Do you mind? Can we, can we, like, plug um, some stuff really oh, quick? Plug, if that's plug cool. away. We will. Um, be, you know we have greenlit season two we are currently in production yes it is happening uh we're writing you know furiously away we booked recording dates so season two will be dropping december 21st friday of this year very cool yeah we're really really excited and also like how the hell are we gonna do this so <laughs> <laughs> got that phone call with brian tomorrow figure that out <laughs> nice <laughs>
0: That's MarsFallPodcast.com. Do it, to it, buy their merch on TeePublic, get hyped for that second season, and give them the hot bucks on their Patreon page at Patreon.com slash MarsFallPodcast. Oh, hey. What's that coolin' on the windowsill? As you traipse through the countryside, toes in the grass, a warm breeze rustling your hair beneath your wide straw hat. You see it scrawled into a fence post, a sigil, It says, in the secret code that you know, the sky's the limit. Ask before taking, but you'll get what you need. You get closer. The thing on the windowsill's a pie, your favorite kind. You knock on the door. The pie is early access and extras-flavored. I offer you a slice, and it tastes like an hour-long version of today's interview, where I talk to the boys about Elon Musk, Whitey's on the moon, using external folks for sound design, and the Marsfall opera that the team is planning as a part of their enormous transmedia empire. Check that out on our Patreon at patreon.com/radiodrama revival, along with all sorts of other goodies. Here lives an honest man, says the sigil. It me. I don't know why I'm taking money from you, a humble traveling hobo slash gentle person of the road, but you know, what? just work with me here. Anyway, I made you this pie. Thanks for listening. And now, credits. Our theme music is Danger Did You Do by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreaux. Our interviews producer is Eli McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau. Our social media manager is James Oliva. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouch. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome.